Amen. 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 With the horns now. Amen. With the rhythm now. Hey. Amen. Uh, two nights ago, I looked. I heard a sound on my back porch, and I looked out to find a just cutest, most adorable raccoon that you could ever imagine on my back porch, getting into our compost bag, because by compost bag, I mean a Chipotle bag that a bunch of scraps are thrown in and thrown onto our back porch, because that's, we got to work on the environment, guys, and, um, and it was out there digging through my Chipotle leftovers and composting, and, um, and I just, we have a glass back door, and I just went to the door, and I just kneeled down against the glass, and it just looked, and it came over to the window. And it like stood up on its back legs. And it was just like this very Lion King moment. And um, it had this look on its face like of trepidation, but also like interest, you know? And I felt like the wrecking was asking me like, are you going to hit me and kick me? Or like, are you, do you have a sandwich for me? And, um, and I, I really do feel like no matter where we're coming from, uh, maybe you're familiar with something like opening the Bible and reading it. Maybe you're not. But I think each of us, probably when we come to it, if we're paying attention, we're like kind of in that same place. Where we're like, I'm hoping that something really beneficial and good will happen to me by reading this. But I'm also kind of worried that I'm going to get like, you know, kicked or disappointed or there's going to be something hurtful uh, or confusing. And I just want to acknowledge that that's the space that we that we come to. And the good news for us is that the Bible says that it's God's word and that it's life for us. And that when we hear it and receive it, um, that God intends to do good things in our minds and in our hearts through it. So uh, I just want to have that in our minds as we, as we read this uh, section from Ephesians chapter 4. This is a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus, which was an ancient major metropolitan city, just like the high country. And, um, and to this little church that was there, that they were trying to figure out how to love each other. He says this, starting in verse 17. Listen, this is the word of the living God. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. By Gentiles, he means just people that, are, that, are not, that don't know Jesus. He says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirits of your mind, in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. And holiness. And I'm going to leave that there for now. And I'm going to ask God to pray that He would be with us. Uh, Father, you say that um, your word is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path, that by reading it and meditating on it and, and exploring it together, that we come to know you, that we experience blessing, that we come to know ourselves. 
And Lord, um, we just admit before you and just acknowledge that we come with a lot of intellectual baggage, emotional baggage, um, when we think about you and we think about the Bible. And so we just ask that you would speak to us now through your word, that we would see that you are good, and Lord, that we would be willing um, to come to you and to find life in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week I was visiting with a friend, and she and I were having lunch. And part of what I love about this old friend is that she always has really great questions. And she is someone that has really wrestled back and forth with the Christian faith for many years. And um, as we were talking, she was like, you know, I kind of realized that there's more to like the Christianity thing or life with Jesus than just like trying to not go to hell. You know, she's like, I kind of recognize that that's not, you know, what the central motivator is. And... But she was like, but you know, Christian people are always like going places and telling people about Jesus and wanting people to come to faith in him. It's not just like, hey, I'm a Christian, you do you, but like Christians are always sharing, hey, you should you should come follow Jesus. And she was like, that doesn't make sense to me unless you're just like worried about the person going to hell. She's like, because otherwise what you're doing is you're going to someone's life or you're going to some other place in some other culture where they have their own religious traditions and backgrounds and uh, and you're trying to tell them about Jesus, but like if you're not worried about them going to hell, like how could knowing Jesus provide any more happiness or satisfaction for them than what they already do? You know, they have their own culture and history and religious stuff. How does knowing Jesus bring more satisfaction than their existing beliefs? And that's a really good question. First off, because it acknowledges something that's true, and that's that Christians from many different cultures and in many different times have gone to places different than their homelands. And they've not only just come to tell people about Jesus, but they've come to tell people to accept their own culture, right? They're like, you should believe in Jesus, and you should dress like my people, and you should eat the foods that my people eat, and you should do relationships like my people do them. I mean, I think famously, we're, you know, we're all in college now, so we're familiar with the fact that you know, Europeans came to America and plundered indigenous peoples and in their, in their lands, and they did that often with this Christian, you know, message that they wanted to spread Christianity along with it. And that's terrible, wrong, bad, because um, we should never confuse this new life with Jesus with our sort of cultural background and and, and norms. Um, When we do that, we actually do harm, right? Um, And I think we inhibit new life in Jesus. But the deeper question that she was asking is what would Jesus ever have to, to offer that makes us more happy than our natural situation? For that, and that goes for anybody. How is the message of Jesus good news for everybody, no matter kind of what background they're from? And in that question, I think is an assumption that everybody in this room has. And because you live in the late 21st century West, it's, it's that we assume that human happiness is the ultimate good. That the highest good that we could ever achieve as as humanity is is human satisfaction and happiness. And I think that the Bible comes to us tonight and says, that is much too small to be an ultimate good. To be the thing above all things. And I would also say that it's killing us And it's killing our planet, honestly. Um, What Paul is coming to these people in Ephesus and saying 
is that God comes to give us a new life and to change that basic assumption that human happiness is the ultimate good. But this life with God is not like your old life that you were living, but just like nicer, right? And like better behaved, right? It's not like your old life plus you just add all these Christian cultural norms, right? And you start saying how encouraged you are, right? And you start having this thing called a quiet time. Nobody knows what that is, right? Um, When a person comes, those, those things are good, but when a person comes to Jesus by faith, what Jesus does is he gives us a whole new self. He says, you have an old self, and I'm going to give you a new self. Kind of like I was saying, a new identity. And now the order, before we, before we jump into this, is really important. The Bible never says, put off all your old ways, and then God will accept you. You know, that, that's like sort of a traditional like, religious thing. I get my life together, I start living this way, and then I'm good with God. But, but Christianity never says, get your life together and then God will accept you. What he's saying to us is that God in Christ accepts people regardless of what you've done. Whether you think it's the worst thing ever or whether you think it's the best thing ever. God is not concerned with what you've done. He accepts you in Jesus now. Because that's true, go and live. Go and do this new thing. And uh, he, he welcomes us into this new reality and then calls us to live in it. I love stories, and I know you do too, about people that find themselves in a new reality and they have to learn how to live in this new reality. Princess Diaries is a strong example. Um, my children, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like my children are like kind of young for Princess Diaries, but they're really into it. And uh, Princess of Gen- Genovia, right? And uh, I've seen it many times. Into the Spider-Verse is a great one. If you've seen that, people, you know, this, this person learning how to be this new identity. But one of my favorite examples of someone learning to live in new realities is Princess and the Frog. Um, so I got some, someone groaned in the back. I was like, yes, connect with these soul sister. Was that you, Carissa? Okay. Um, because Tiana is constantly learning how to live in these new realities. Like, she lives in her reality as a, as a black woman in deeply segregated New Orleans, right? She lives in the white world that she's in there. She's working with her mother. She, she lives in the world of restaurants. And then she becomes a, a, a frog, right? And she has to learn how to live. It's not slime, right? It's mucus. Um, she has to learn how to live in the bayou, how to live this new reality. And then when she... Because it's a surprise, she doesn't stay a frog, she becomes a princess. Um, she learns how to live as a princess in a, in a restaurateur. And these stories, I think, fascinate us because we, we long to know what it would be like to live in a new reality, right? To one day wake up and discover that we were something totally different than we had ever thought before. And that's the invitation that Jesus has for us tonight in this passage. And I, I just want to say a couple, couple of things about this new life, this new reality And the first is that this new life requires taking something off. What Paul says, he says, he says, put off the old self. And now he talks before that about these people he calls the Gentiles. And by that, he means the people in the Roman culture that were around the church. And this was a particularly sexually explicit and exploitative culture. Um, And he says they're alienated from the life of God. In a sense, what he's saying is that they, they've, they've, they've turned away from God and run away from God so much. 
and they've refused to deal with God, that as he said, they've become callous. Right? They have hard hearts. And actually the Bible says that this is all of us by our nature. That all of us by our nature, all human beings, have a sense of God and we, and we run away from God. We harden ourselves to him. We refuse to deal with him. And what he's kind of getting at, if you look in verse 19, he says, They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. What he's saying is that the harder and harder our hearts get, the more and more that we move away from God. Um, and this is a hard word for us, I think, to hear, um, but it's a plain spoken word. The harder that we move away from God, the more pleasure it takes for your heart to feel something. Does that make sense, right? Like the, the more that you become calloused, the more intense the pleasure has to be for you to act for it to actually make a, a, a sense to you and for you to actually feel it. In high school, I, I had a girlfriend, which is surprising. And because um, if you knew me in high school, you would really be surprised. And, um, and she was actually really great. And um, surprisingly for me. And, uh, but I remember one time we were, her dad was a surgeon, but he was really into like ranching cattle. Because, you know, if you're a surgeon, you can have whatever hobby you want. And um, he was really into ranching cattle. And one time we were holding hands and she said, your, your hands are so much softer than my dad's hands are. And uh, I was like, oh, she was like, his hands are all like rough and callous. Like he's working really hard. Your hands are so smooth and soft. And um, I was like, that makes me feel like sub, you know, masculine in a lot, a lot of ways. And, um, but, you know, like if you've ever had calluses on your hands, you know that it, it takes more to feel with them. And, and what he's saying, what Paul begins to say to us, he says, don't live that way. Don't, don't refuse to deal with God and become hardened and, and, and seek pleasure. He says, take off that old self. It's like, it's like a garment. He says, take it off. Put it away from you. And he says that it's a garment that is corrupt in verse 22. It's corrupt through deceitful desires. And what he means there is that the, our old self and everyone in this room has an old self. Whether you are not yet believing in God, whether you are recently coming to know Jesus, whether you're like, I grew up in the church and I feel like I've known Jesus my whole life. All of us have an old self because the old self is fundamentally about our own desires. That's what the old self is that he tells us to, to put off. That the old self that each of us has is fundamentally about us getting our desires met. That that's fundamentally, when, he, when you break it down, we, we, we are a, 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 like a, a mouth, a stomach, and like sexual organs, right? That we want our desires to be met. And this is really, really hard, I would say, because we don't know that we are doing this. It's like the story about the fish swimming past the other fish. That, you know, there's two fish swimming, and an older fish swims by, and he says, how are you boys enjoying the water today? And he swims away, and then the one looks at the other and says, what's water? You know? um, because, because we're living in it so much, we don't even realize. Um, what it means to live in our cultural moment is this. It's that we each believe that we have an internal set of desires, and we have an internal set of dreams deep inside of us in like a hidden, locked away place. And our purpose is to discover those hidden dreams and desires. That we look inside ourselves, we find that, we become archaeologists, right, of our like sort of inner workings. And once we discover what we really love and what we're really passionate about, then we can discover our purpose and move forward with it. Right? Cultures throughout time have not thought about ourselves that way. We have never looked to our own selves to find our own purpose. And every one of us functions 
like this. And really all that's just a fancy way of saying, I look inside me, I find what I want, and then I find out how to get it. That I'm defined by my desires. And what Paul is saying here is, you, if you know Jesus, you can't keep doing that. Not because it's wrong, bad. That was a spank. Bad. Um, but because it doesn't make sense for you anymore. He says, that this, this is clothing that doesn't fit you anymore. My children, their uh, feet grow really fast. Can somebody grab that door and just... That'd be great, thanks. Um, thank you. Um, because someone is doing donuts in that bathroom. You know what I'm saying? With a car. With a car. And that's what it sounded like. Okay. Um, All right. <laughs> I don't know what doing donuts in the bathroom would mean otherwise. So. All right. Somebody's going to tell me later what that would mean. Okay. My kids' feet, while we're on it, grow fast. But my kids love their shoes. Because we get our kids, like, cool shoes, you know? Because it's like, you know, we're bougie like that. We can get our kids cool shoes. And... Um, and they get so heartbroken that they can't wear them anymore. And they like refuse. Like my youngest daughter is like, I'm wearing these shoes. And I'm like, Rosie, it's not just that they're wrong. It's that they're hurting your feet. Like your feet are literally too big. Like these shoes are inappropriate for you now because they're just doing you harm. They're holding you back. And really that's what Paul is saying here about our old self. When you're living fundamentally for your desire, and that's each of us, that when you come to Jesus, Colossians 3 says that old you has been killed. He says that old you was crucified with Jesus and you have been made new in him. So he says, so stop, take off this old self. But the new life requires also a putting on, right? And he, he says this in, in verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and in verse 24 and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He doesn't say go make a new self. He doesn't say, go, go actualize a new self. What he says is, Jesus has given you a new self as a gift. Just, just put him on. Just wear him. Because even though it feels awkward now, this is who you naturally are. And look, the grace of Jesus, like you hear me and, you're, and, and, and if I was you, I would be like, so you're telling me there's something better than me getting my desires, but it must be really good. Right? Because I got some desires, you know what I'm saying? Um, the grace of Jesus provides so much more than the fulfillment of our desires, although it comes through on those desires. Jesus gives men and women a life not just with God, but the passage says, in God. That Jesus comes to make us one with God, that we have our life. The one who made everything that exists. The one who made everything that we desire is the one that Jesus says, you have your life in now. You belong to him. And I can't imagine offering anybody something more life-altering than to say that God wants to have you in him. To experience his health, life, beauty, light, his righteousness, his holiness. Those like, those are, those are really... Just religiously sounding words for just God's purity and his beauty. He wants you to experience that in him. And, and he goes on to say, look, these, this old self, that's not the way that you learned Christ. 
And what he means by that is when Jesus came, Jesus who is God himself, he became a human being like us with a body like ours. We often hate our bodies. We hate what's going on in our, in our minds. We hate the tension we have in our own soul. And yet God himself came and put those things on. He doesn't hate those things. He doesn't hate your body. He came and he put those things on and he did not look first to his own desires, but he worked actively for our good. And actually, if we're talking about this in terms of clothing, Jesus in his life and death took our old self and didn't just take it away. He took our old self in that yuckiness and that shame and he put it on, the scripture says. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin. So that in him we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus put on himself everything corrupt and nasty and selfish inside of us that we know is there and we're afraid, terrified for other people to know. Everything that's not of God, he put it on himself. And that's why the scripture can say that you have been crucified with him. Because your old self went with Jesus to the cross. And that new self is actually Jesus' beautiful life. Jesus' life that was so full of joy and service and genuine love and never lying, never manipulating, never being unsafe for someone. That beautiful life to God, he has taken off and he drapes it on you. He puts it on you because he wants you to have freedom. Uh, And this is now your real life if you are in Jesus. Um, As you may know, I do love Kendrick Lamar. And um, if, you, if you've never listened to Kendrick, there is a track on Good Kid, Mad City called Sing About Me and I'm Dying of Thirst. And at the end of I'm Dying of Thirst, there's a skit that runs throughout the whole record of um, the, these friends and they end up, um, one of the friends is shot. And as two of the friends are basically planning on going and getting revenge on the person that killed their friend, they are approached by an, old, an older woman in a convenience store parking lot who was actually voiced by Maya Angelou before she died. And uh, so take that seriously. And she comes and she speaks to them and she says, you boys are dying of thirst. You need water. You need to be baptized with the spirit of the Lord. And she begins to lead them through this prayer of coming to accept Jesus. And after they after they come to accept Jesus at the end, she says, all right, remember this day, the start of a new life, your real life. And that's what Jesus is saying to us through Paul in this passage is this is your real life in Christ. Your real life is a life that is fundamentally not connected to your desires, but is fundamentally alive to God and and is about Him. It's about being an image bearer of God. And Jesus frees us from hardening ourselves in the pursuit of our own desires and frees us to love God and to love our neighbor. I don't know about you, but I feel trapped to love God and to love my neighbor well because I feel like it's always at odds with what I want. And what's going to make me feel safe. But Jesus comes to to free us from that. When you're remade in the image of God and God becomes the greatest good, the top layer, not your desire, not human satisfaction and happiness, but God himself, you're not limited, but you're radically expanded because you move from being a mouth, a stomach and sexual organs to someone who is actually a full and whole person who is free to love, free to love God and free to love your neighbor because it's not fundamentally about you. It's fundamentally about a God of love. And it frees you fundamentally to love yourself. To not deal with yourself. You can actually develop a tender heart toward yourself if you know Jesus. 
Because you can begin to see yourself as God sees you, not in your failure, not in your shame, not in everything that you're trying to convince everybody that you're okay and you're going to be fine. You can be honest before God and look at Him and He sees you as a dearly beloved, completely forgiven. And this is work. And this is where I want to bring this down on as we, as we close. This takes work because it does not come naturally to any of us. And I love guys saying, I feel like I'm behind in the sort of Christian life because I smoke cigarettes, right? And I was way back, long gone, man. Um, but we feel like we, we are behind one another. Um, and Jesus just calls us to put it on. Do you, if you remember back to freshman year, you bought winter boots, okay? Because <laughs> wherever it is you come from, except for Sarah Jane, who came from Rochester, New York, and it snows like this there. Um, Wherever you came from, it's not like this here, there, you know what I'm saying? The weather isn't like, isn't like it is here. And you remember when you put them on, you're like, these are really lame. And they felt really clunky. And you're like, why would anybody ever need these? And then, you know, a couple years later, you're like, it's just like putting on an old shoe because that's what it is. And um, it feels totally normal to you. And what Paul says as, as we close is this is what it looks like to put on the new self. And, and as I read through this last part of the passage... I just want you to feel the freedom and the beauty of this life because it's a life that's free to love. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Can you imagine us being able to speak the truth? Just being honest and still loving your neighbor. Be angry and do not sin. He doesn't say don't be angry to stuff it down, act like it's not there. Let it explode on your roommate later. He says, no, be angry. Own the fact that you're angry. It doesn't mean you have to go hurt somebody because of it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Look at it. It's like you were stealing before. Now go to work so that you can share with your neighbor. Gosh, that's beautiful. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Kenna Osenga, is in the, I'm sure, is in this room. Pretty much every time she has ever spoken to me, I felt like it built me up. You know? She's a kind person, and that is a beautiful life. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Can't you feel that that's a beautiful life? And that's your real self if you are in Jesus. So my questions for you, think of all the ways that you want to change. Whether you're here and like you may know God, you may not. Think of the things that you want to change. Okay? And then think of the methods by which you are trying to see those things to be changed. What you're trying to do. Is, are any of those methods coming to you and promising you life? Not just success over the things that you don't like about yourself, but life, true, beautiful life. And, and the second question is, we're always asking, what is our purpose? We're trying to find it in here. We're really confused because it changes semester to semester, so we change our major. What if your purpose does not lie within you in some deep, hidden away place that you have to discover? What if it isn't a job or a city or a mate? What if it's all just window dressing until you figure out that your life, your real life is really about loving God and loving your neighbor and experiencing life in him, which he gives to you as a gift. 
And he just says, just, just put it on. Jesus invites us into a beautiful life. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that everything that we have from you is a gift. And I, I just want to acknowledge that that probably lands with each of us in a little bit of a different way. And Lord, I, I wish I knew how to tell myself in a compelling way and to tell other people in a compelling way that God is so much better than all the things that we want. That only you can make that alive to us. And Lord, I pray that you will because Lord, we are dying of thirst. We are dying to figure out what we're even supposed to be doing here. And you're simply saying, just come to me. Learn to accept my love, to love me, to love your neighbor. Ah, it's so beautiful, Lord. Um, teach that to our hearts and help us to respond to you by faith. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say